Welcome to the Metta Hour podcast with Sharon Salzberg, where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, visit www.beherenownetwork.com slash Sharon. Enjoy listening. Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and I'm here today with one of my oldest, closest friends, Krishnadas. Krishnadas, known to friends, family, and fans simply as KD, has taken the call and response chanting out of yoga centers and into concert halls, becoming a worldwide icon and the best-selling Western chant artist of all time. His album, Live Ananda, released January 2012, was nominated for a Grammy in the Best New Age Album category. With a remarkably soulful voice that touches the deepest chord, and even the most casual listener, KD has released 15 albums to date, as well as an autobiography, Chance of a Lifetime, released in 2010, and Flow of Grace, released in 2006. He's also the subject of the award-winning documentary One Track Heart, The Story of Krishnadas, released by Zeitgeist Films in 2012. Welcome to the Meta Hour, KD. <laughs> Thank you, Sharon. Soon, someday I'll say welcome to the Meta Chorus, right? Yeah, that's right. That'll be fun. <laughs> As long as I've been released by the time the course uh, starts. All that release stuff kind of, you know. Yes, that was released and that was released. Yeah, yeah. I'll be released someday. I shall be released. <laughs> so, yeah, great to be here with you. Always great to be with you, Sharon. You know that. It's uh, it's such a, all my good karma is coming to fruition every time we meet. Ah, it's, I just love being with you, which is why I flew to California, flew back to New York, flew to Hawaii. Oh. Yeah. But for you, of course, I do it. Um, so uh, as they pat- as they plan out these podcasts, they usually have me start by asking people, what brought you to the path <laughs> that yeah. you're on? What brought you to the path of bhakti yoga and the practice of call and response chanting? Hmm. Good question. <laughs> you know, I usually say depression. Mm-hmm. But that's a simple way of saying it. It was really this feeling of emptiness inside, or, oh, I shouldn't say emptiness. That's like... <laughs> the other way. Yeah, you got it. It was a, a feeling inside that was not yet emptiness, as far as I could tell, uh, of just not being connected to anyone, really. Mm-hmm. Everything was so superficial. My family, my friends, who I loved, especially, you know, I was very close with my friends. But there was no context for anything that was going on in my life it was just very superficial feeling and my insides were were crying for some kind of to be connected to something deeper I, i didn't i mean i wouldn't have said that then but looking back you know i can easily see that i was just always in some kind of despair about knowing that i was uh connected to something real, you know. And to be honest, the uh, between my junior and senior years of high school, a friend of mine came back from the Southwest with some peyote buttons. And that was uh, a life-changing experience. Because as soon as the peyote took took a hold of me and I I looked around and I said, "Oh, this is real." Yeah. And everything else in my life was just of shadow 
of no substance whatsoever. And what I was seeing and experiencing, the, 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 the bliss and the happiness, was just so extraordinary. But, and not for one second did I doubt that this was much mm-hmm. more real than anything I had ever mm-hmm. experienced before. Mm-hmm. The, the, real, the depth, depth of it, you know. And so I kept on looking for that in everything in life. And of course, when I, when I first met my guru, that was when I you know, I felt it in a different way inside. The thing that I was, um, remark on, you know, when I think about uh, all of you who, who left Bodh Gaya, you know, and <laughs> went off to look for Maharaji and finding him within like minutes or something, you know, <laughs> which is the whole reason I didn't get on the bus. I said, I don't even know where the man is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not the whole reason, but uh, was that I don't know any one of that particular community at all, who looks back and says that was a time of foolishness or youth or yeah. every single person says that was the most important time of my life. That was the most real. Yeah. That was the most valid, which is remarkable. It is, yeah. You know, looking back, uh, most of the people there, like me, didn't even have a life. Mm-hmm. We were like in our 20, 21, 22. We'd never done anything. We'd never had jobs. We'd never supported ourselves. We didn't have families of our own. We didn't know what we wanted to be, who we wanted to be, how we wanted to be in the world. Mm-hmm. We were just blank, a blank uh, page. And we were free in that sense that we hadn't manifested mm-hmm. anything. And uh, I think those experiences we all had in India at that time redirected all our, the way our karmas would unfold. Mm-hmm. And of course, just being there was already a karmic fruit, yeah, yeah. Which, which just further opened up things for us. The joke that I was making before is has to do with the fact that Krishnadas and I actually met at my very first meditation retreat, which was a ten-day intensive retreat led by S. N. Goenka in Bodhgaya, India. Bodhgaya is this little village that has grown up around the descendant of the tree. They say the Buddha was sitting under yeah. when he became enlightened. And uh, Goenka was someone who just left Burma and was beginning these kind of immersion courses. And he had taught maybe three or four by the time I got there in January of 1971. I think it was only the second one he taught. Manindra had taught the first. Okay. okay. And then Goenka had taught one. And yeah. I think that's when you yeah, arrived. When I arrived. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, <clears throat> and I stayed, as we all did, um, through a succession of different courses with maybe a few days break in between and uh, at the end of some number of them Ramdas had arranged a bus for was it open to anybody who wanted to get on it? Yeah sure anybody who wanted to go uh, to go look for the guru named Kurali Baba and I remember waving goodbye to the bus of course this is a place where Krishnadas' story and mine diverge (laughs) (laughs) and then we come back together he's no longer Jeffrey he's Krishnadas (laughs) and you know what I said was just partly true, of course. I mean, there were probably other, certainly there were other karmic reasons or, you know, psychological reasons why I didn't get on the bus. But what was um, rational in my mind was, well, I don't even know where the man is, you know, yeah, like, yeah. how are they going to find him? And then, uh, actually, we were going to go to Delhi. We didn't know where he was. We were going to go to Delhi and then ask around. But as as it turned out, we met him on the way to Delhi, Uh 
after making a uh, an enlightened detour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was only a matter of hours, right? Yeah, it was just, it was just a, a few hours. Yeah. 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 It was a, and, and, yeah, I mean, in typical Maharaji fashion, the bus was, we had gone there, Danny Goldman had been to the Mela, the Kumbha Mela, or the Mag Mela, and uh, where there had been like 10 million people. And he said, well, why don't we stop there on the way to Delhi? And Ramdas said, no, we want to get to Delhi and find Maharaji. Every, so we had this long argument on the bus. Everybody had two cents to put in. And finally, Ramdas said, okay, okay, okay. We'll go, we'll pranam, we'll bow to the place, we'll get back on the bus, and then we'll, hit, we'll get to Delhi tonight. So the bus pulls into the place where there had been 10 million people, and there was nobody there. Mm. A dog. One straight dog <laughs> rolling, uh, running across the, this huge, vast plain, you know. So Danny said, well, there's a Hanuman temple in the corner of this field. Why don't we go there? So the bus was making this long turn towards the Hanuman table, temple. And walking in the other direction was Maharaji. Mm -hmm. And he walked. The bus would have gone right by him. He wasn't even looking up. He didn't stop. He kept walking. But Rameshwada said... Look, there's Maharaji. Mm. And at that moment, Maharaji says to the guy walking with him, they've come. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so just so then he told us to, uh, he got into a rickshaw with this other Indian man, and he asked us to follow the rickshaw. So this huge Mercedes bus, shiny, bright, is following this little rickshaw through the tiny little streets <laughs> of Allahabad. We get to the house, and it turns out it's that gentleman's house who was with Maharaji. And we kind of get off the bus and we're standing around what to do. And this woman comes out of the house and says, come, come and take your meal. And we said, but there's like 25 of us. Oh, Maharaji woke us up all, this, woke us all up this morning and said, Make, prepare food for 25 people. They'll be coming later. <laughs> so that was the first, that was that story. <laughs> you know, when people talk about... Um... A guru, it's so difficult in the West to understand the nature of that relationship because, yeah. I mean, here's just one example. The um, stories people often tell about Maharaji are like the miracle stories, you know, the time mm. he knew what no one could reasonably know. Sure. Um, things like that. But the times people light up have nothing to do with sort of that. No display you know that they light up when they remember how sweet he was or yeah how loving he was the miracles were always in the surface of love they were never and you never felt he was doing anything it was just rolling off mm -hmm. of him mm -hmm. and it was just the love that we couldn't believe you know we just it was like wow how did we how did this happen you know yeah, yeah. I grew up on long island how did this happen yeah, you know yeah it was uh, it was that love and the, the the feeling of not only being loved, but being with somebody who you could love fully because there was no coercion, there was no manipulation, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there was no need he had from us to be any way mm -hmm. at all. So we were freed; our hearts were free to flow as much as they could at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's beautiful. Like I. You know, I had a teacher, this woman named Deepama, who yeah. reputedly could do, you know, some of that stuff, and uh, which people sometimes talk about, usually with disbelief, like, 
Yeah. Do you ever see her? Did you ever see her walk through a wall? And I was like, no, you know, I didn't. But it was kind of irrelevant to the consideration of who she was. Like, you know, I I'd read somewhere that she could um, bake a potato in her hand and make it taste like chocolate. Oh wow! But I don't sit and think about years gone by. <laughs> like, wow, she could do that. It's like yeah. she was so loving. She was so yeah. compassionate. She was so present. That's what we all think about. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that you can only talk about the things you can talk about, you know, and that feeling that you get from a being like that and from being in the presence of someone like that is is so beyond conce- concepts. Mm-hmm. All you can just say is like, you know, I felt something I never felt before. I felt loved and I felt able to love and free to love in a way that uh, it was inconceivable, and yet it was exactly what I was looking for my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I'm asking you this rhetorically because I teach so much with you, which is a great delight in my life, that I've heard you ask this many times. <laughs> I know, you, I guess I know what you're going to say. But you know, what do you say to the people who are never going to go to India or feel they will never meet such a being? Well, they'll probably never get dysentery. <laughs> oh, those antibiotics. Yeah, oh my god. Um Well, what I usually the way I respond is that we already know what we want. Everybody wants the same thing. Mm-hmm. And you need you don't need to wait for something to happen for 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 us to go for it and try to find that missing piece that we would, you know, in our heart that would make it all work right. And of course, in the in India, they say Guru, God, and Self are, are not different, you know. Mm-hmm. And they say it over and over again, and it's literally true. There's Guru is not a human being. It is the Guru might be in a human body, might not. Mm-hmm. And even if the Guru is in a human body, it's not the body that's the Guru. It's the being that's inhabiting that body, just like we inhabit ours. Um, they, but the difference is that they're awake and we're not, and they know. So, uh, and also, everyone has a guru, and anyone who's on the path already has a lineage that they mm-hmm. that's already working for them. But you don't have to know that, you know. And you, and of course, the other thing is that. These great beings only are here for one reason. They have one motivation only, compassion for mm-hmm. us. And so what you know from that is that everything that happens is for the best. And what they do and what they don't do is also for the best. Mm-hmm. So if a guru or a master shows up in your life in a body, that was what you needed. And if a guru and a master doesn't show up in a body, that's what you needed. It's very difficult because people want what they want, and Americans, Westerners especially, want want. They think mm-hmm. the guru's a button they can push, and everything will be okay. Yeah, right. Not that way. Mm-hmm. Not that way. So one has to do one's work from where one is. Mm-hmm. Start where you are, as Pema says, and deal with what ha- what arises in your life. And take it mm-hmm. as the teaching of the guru, as the guru's put that there in your life for you to deal with. 
if your guru inclined to think that way. You know, once I heard you use this quotation, um, you said something like, I think a Hindu source saying, uh, all the time the guru's grace is coming down upon us like a gentle rain, mm -hmm. but we forget to cup our hands. Something like that, yeah. You know, so yeah. it's the cupping of our hands. It's always a practice. Yeah. Even yeah. if you call it a non-practice, it's yeah. a practice. Sure. Absolutely, yeah. If we want to drink, you have to cup your hands. Yeah. Yeah. And grace is an is is another word for grace is the natural state. It's not something that anyone deserves mm -hmm. or anyone can earn. It's it's our true nature. It's what we are. We we are we exist in a state of grace, but we are not aware of that. Mm -hmm. And a guru or a, a, a can can give you a glimpse of that but then you have to you have to use your own muscles and that's not easy it's not easy yeah. one of the things i um really saw about just living in india was kind of the wealth of possibility of how many teachers how many gurus because you needed a certain amount of discernment you know like yeah well, a lot of a lot of bad people. Yeah. And also a lot of hungry people. Yeah. You know, it's not everybody. You know, this world, everybody has to eat. You're born, and you eat, and then you die. If you don't eat, you die sooner. So people will do whatever they have to do to eat because mm -hmm, they have mm -hmm. to survive. And there's a lot of so-called gurus who are just trying to feed themselves. Yeah. And they'll just manipulate people to do that. But you live and learn, you know. I was in a cult once where I literally was with somebody who was so emotionally manipulative that, uh, and I was so needy that it fulfilled something for me. Uh, but then I was finished with it, and I mm -hmm. just walked away. So I understand what it means to give up your own sense of right and wrong. And accept somebody else's view of that as truth. But that's not what a guru does. A guru would never do that. A real guru. A guru, Maharaji never told us to do anything. He never made us wear the same clothes. He never made us all the same. We didn't even like each other, a lot of the Westerners, <laughs> you know? But we all were in that love together. Yeah. But as people, we, you know, there were people that really rubbed you the wrong way. All, so he didn't, he never said my way or, or the highway. It was always, what do you want? And when I was leaving India for the last time in uh, March 73, last time I was with him physically, I was flipped out because I'd been walking around in a red dress, barefoot, stepping in cow poop for two years, you know. What am I going to do in New York, you know? So I wanted to ask him. I felt that was cheating, kind mm -hmm. of. And I, so I was arguing with myself, sitting right in front of him. I'm, I better ask him what to do. You better not. You just, just shut up and sit here. Everything will be okay. What do you mean everything will be okay? I'm, I'm going back to New York. Yeah, so what? Um, so he, finally I blurted out, Maharaji, how can I serve you in America? And he looked like a bit of pickle. 
You know, he may, <laughs> and he says, if you ask about service, it's not service. Because, mm. and he said, just do what you want. Okay, do what you want. I've been celibate for three years. What did mm -hmm. I want to do? Mm -hmm. So how is that? And I looked at him. Of course, I, how is that going to be serving you? And he looked at me <laughs> and he laughed. He laughed. He said, so how will you serve me? Because <laughs> he knew everything. Mm -hmm. So, And then, once again, I, I, I got up and I walked across the courtyard and I bowed to him from across the courtyard in what was the last time I ever saw him physically mm -hmm. so far. Mm -hmm. And I heard in my my mind, I heard of my voice in my mind talking, saying something, but it wasn't me saying it. It wasn't my thought. And the words were, I'll sing to you in America. And I went, yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. So this is, it, everything comes from the inside. Even if you have a physical guru on the outside, it comes from the inside. Mm -hmm. The epiphanies, the understandings, they come. So, one has to learn to listen. Yeah, it must be true because, um, not only because you said it, but, <laughs> but because uh, it's always so different, right? They're like the people who meet somebody that has had a profound effect on all their friends and it's not happening for them. Yeah. Or I think about the people who lived in Bodhgaya, the village people, you know, who, yeah. I mean, the, the tree is there. There's an incredibly beautiful stupa. In those days you could sit all night, just like the Buddha did, you know, mm. under the tree. And, um, and it's not happening for them either, you know? Not at all. Yeah. And so uh, there's something so personal about it and so karmic about it in yeah. a way. Yeah. It's amazing, yeah. Did you ever bring anyone there or send someone there to meet Maharaji that it just didn't strike them as uh, anything special? I don't think so. But I, I remember once I was standing kind of the back of the crowd around Maharaji and a bus had arrived and this Westerner walked into the temple and he kind of stood next to me. He said, is that Maharaji over there? And I said, yeah. He goes, wow. He's really ugly. And I went, I, my mind just stopped because to me he was, you couldn't even say he was beautiful. He was beauty itself. Mm -hmm. And this guy just turned and left. Mm. Ah. A little karmic Oh, but one, thing, one funny thing happened. So this beautiful woman came in Tibetan clothes and long blonde hair and a braid, you know. And I was thinking, oh, wow, I hope Maharaji turns her on so she'll stay, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so he calls me over, and he calls her over, and he says, ask her where she's going. Ask her where she came from. I said, excuse me, Maharaji's asking where you came from. New Delhi. Maharaji, she came from Delhi. Acha, ask her where she's going. Where are you going? He said, I'm going to Almora. Maharaji, she's going to Almora. And he looked at me, and he goes, you mean she won't stay? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> he was so, so sad. She won't so stay. Sad. She won't stay. <laughs> and I went, no. <laughs> well, now I'm wondering what Dr. Larry's uh, boss and people like that at the World Health Organization mm. thought of his association with the guru and the smallpox campaign. Yeah. Well, whatever they thought, 
when the villagers saw Maharaji's picture, like on the jeep, they always had his picture there, mm -hmm. and they saw, why do you have his photo there? He's my guru. He's your guru? Then you can inoculate us. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it opened doors. I mean, because he was so known through all of India, and yet nobody knew where to find him. He didn't have one place. He was too cool for school. <laughs> <laughs> Which also makes me think about, um, he didn't have a website. <laughs> yeah, no website, no phone, and he had forbid people to write about him. And when one devotee started collecting stories, and Maharaji found out about it, he made him rip it up right mm. in front of him. Mm. He didn't want any publicity. and He didn't want any, he, you know, it's totally something else. And you still have your notebook, right? I still have my notebook. Yeah. When I was joking when I said no website because there was no internet. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, so in those days, like if you, and there are very few books in English, um, there just wasn't the same kind of resource. And so if you heard somebody say something inspiring or meaningful to you, you had to write it down. Yeah. So most of us, if not all of us, had, had the, notebook, the notebook, which all those treasures went. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, Parvati Marcus just mm -hmm. just uh, created a book out of the notebooks of a whole bunch of people. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's what that book, Love Everyone, is. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. And it really captures the feeling of being there with Maharaji for like what, how it felt there during the day. And everybody had a different story. You know, he could say one thing and there were 20 different versions of what he said. It was amazing. It's a beautiful book. Love everyone. Love everyone. Serve everyone. Yeah. Always remember God. That's that's what he taught us. Uh, when we asked him how do we find God, he said, you know, serve people. What? You know, what do you, what does that mean? You know? We we wanted practices to do. But his main teaching to us was don't think about yourself all the time. Mm -hmm. Think about others. You know, he, he said to me, he said, when I was going to kill myself and, you know, and <laughs> I was having a nervous breakdown in the temple and I was like basically fell into his lap crying and I was thinking about jumping in the river and which was only six inches deep, mm -hmm. you know. But I figured if I got my head under a rock, I could probably do it. So what are you going to do? Jump in the river? Ha! Ah, worldly people don't die. Mm. Worldly people don't die. Only Jesus died the real death. Why? Because he never thought of himself. You know, and what he meant was that thoughts of me no longer arose in that being. He only was here for his people. And that's what he, how he told us to be in the world, you know. So the practices we do, like chanting and repetition of the name, which we do like we learned in those days, they're not an end in itself, but they're, they're to give us the strength to be that kind of person mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. the world. He wasn't, he was the guru of householders. Mm -hmm. he, he, I mean, he, who knows what else he did, but... He was always with people, every day, always with people. Mm -hmm. 
So when you go to a Buddhist retreat and you practice, yeah. um, it's in that light that you're saying, this is giving me the strength to sure. do the thing that, yeah. Developing compassion, kindness. Yeah. That's why I always tell people that as far as I'm concerned, the metta practice, the loving kindness meditation is the most powerful practice for us Westerners. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because we can't even sit down at ease in ourselves for two seconds. How are we going to ever be at ease in the world and how mm -hmm. with other people? What can we do for somebody else if we we're so we feel so bad about ourselves right, all right, the time? Right. And that practice is it just it cleans out a place for us to sit in our own hearts, yeah. and from there everything can happen. Yeah, I think it really. Of course, I agree with you. Yeah, it, it really is like a cleansing, you know, because it's like if you have a physical infection. Yeah then all that life energy is drawn to it, you know, trying to deal with it. And you don't have the juice to really care about someone else's story. You know, it's all yeah. just going to that place of pain. And, and it's the same thing psychologically, emotionally. Though. Yeah. All we've got is just drawn to that, and we don't really have it to, yeah. to give to others and stuff. And even if we try to do it, it's... It's still a, a self-centered or ego-centric action. Mm -hmm. It's not an. It's not just a a natural flowing mm -hmm. because we have motivations. So this, yeah, you know, that practice is incredible, and uh, the chanting practice is very powerful too, and also for me especially because mm -hmm. I do it so much. That feels more like a practice of transmission, of entering into space and getting a taste of that, what mm -hmm. it would be like to be, for the heart mm -hmm. to relax mm -hmm. and open that way. So they, they're really complementary. That's beautiful. How many uh, teachings or events do you think you do a week? <laughs> it kind of <laughs> depends, you know. I, I mean, uh, on a regular week I'll probably sing Friday and maybe do a workshop on the weekend and then when we do retreats we do like four or yeah. five six days yeah. Yeah. something like that two a days sometimes you know yeah. just depends but for me it's what keeps me straight you know I, mm -hmm. I, I need to do that I can't just sit at home mm -hmm. I sink mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not somebody who's good like that because I just never developed that discipline and that. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> sure, tomorrow. Maybe, maybe tonight I'll start. <laughs> but, you know, I really feel that for me, the way Maharaji's arranged it, arranged it specifically, it's for me too. Mm -hmm. And when when I first started singing with people, it was very much to save my own ass. I knew I had to do this, or I would never clean out the dark shadows in my heart. And if I didn't do it, it wasn't going to happen. So I had to do it. And I never, of course, expected anything like this no. to develop. Not in a million years. It's fantastic. I was sitting somewhere and your voice started wafting out of the loudspeakers. <laughs> I said, oh, Krishna, I know him. That's my claim to fame. <laughs> I say that too. Hey, I know that guy. I know him. Yeah, it's him. <laughs> No, it's fantastic. Well, it's connected in that odd way with yoga having done what it did because yeah. certainly yoga studios were big 
proponents of your music. Sure. And yeah, that was, it was kind of the beginning of the internet thing, right? In 95, the first CD came out. And it went everywhere to yoga studios all mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. You know, hard copy, the CD itself was taken around, and that's kind of how it started. Yeah. Yeah. Now people in India listen to me on YouTube. Should I feel this? <laughs> it's crazy. But it's all Maharaji's grace. I, you know, even if I wanted to take it seriously and personally, I, I couldn't even fool myself, you know. I'm not, well, maybe I could. <laughs> but it's all his, his blessings to people, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To, to, you know, to the world. Then one can only do the best one can, you know? Well, yeah. Um, that's all you can do. And I remember when uh, Nyosha Ken died, and um, he was one of our, our Tibetan teachers, and uh, uh, Sonia Rinpoche had just begun a, a course in Litchfield, Connecticut. Yeah, that yeah. Kind of odd place. I mean, very heartwarming and lovely place in terms of the staff and stuff, but it was sort of like a kind of rental facility where they served, like, green cupcakes and you think didn't grow green <laughs> like what makes that green <laughs> um and uh right towards the beginning Nyosha Kenrupache died and Sonny Ruche announced it and he said I feel really bad for you that you don't get to sit with the, the great masters you know like yeah. all you've got is me <laughs> and uh yeah. and then he talked about Kempo and talked about his father and maybe 15 minutes later he said something like I feel really bad for you because all you've got is me, but I'm who you've got. Mm. So I'll do the best I can. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, was quite remarkable. Yeah, I remember he said, they're like a car that's, and I'm like an old Tibetan truck that's lumbering down the road, never getting anywhere very fast. Yeah. yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that was very powerful. They played his, a little tape of him, remember? They played that tape, and they said, this is a secret teaching, and you're, you're not supposed to hear this, but you don't understand Tibetan anyway. We just want <laughs> you to hear his voice. Yeah. And it was, they were, their hearts were so open. Yeah. It, was, it was amazing. Yeah. Another thing I really love out of that tradition is uh, in those stories of old where there'd be like the venerated lama a teacher and the sidekick who was the servant. It would tend to be the servant who was enlightened first, you know, because yeah. their hearts were open and they were humble and they were yeah. into service and like feeding people and stuff like that. And, and uh, there's some great stories about Nyosha Ken Rinpoche in, in France, which is where he died, and yeah. um, that last period of his life and different people coming to see him, including Sonny Rinpoche and his attendant, who's a lama, his name is Tashi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Tashi Lama tells the story about how uh, Kempo's wife and Sonny Rinpoche were over by the window talking, having some big discussion, very, you know, sad because he was dying. And he hadn't opened his eyes in a very long time at that point. And uh, Lama Tashi was sitting on the bed with him. And Kempo opens his eyes and looks right at him. Mm. So it's like he got the biggest blessing of all. Yeah. And he kept thinking, not me, look at him. You know, <laughs> He's the Lama. He's like in charge. But Kempo, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. It's been very enriching to learn from different traditions. Sure, it's amazing. It's really wonderful. 
and it's so obvious how how much the how, how the basis of all of it is caring kindness and compassion you know and the wisdom that brings that real mm-hmm. compassion it's all the same yeah and it, it makes such a difference like we were just in Hawaii with Ramdas who yeah. of course was the person who introduced many many people to a kind of current spirituality you know yeah. and a, a real lived spirituality and, and that was incredible and seeing that going everywhere from you know him first coming back uh from india being on those radio shows yeah introducing people to the very notion of a teacher a guru and yeah a practice and all the way to you know now we do have the internet and we have these ways of being together when we're not together yeah just kind of extraordinary. So KD and I actually have a digital course that we've created together, the Power of the Loving Heart course, and we should probably talk about that a little bit. Um, uh, the course has 28 lessons, and each include a teaching video, guided practice video or audio, and a frequently asked questions bonus video. Um, I don't remember what year it was when we first talked together. I don't know if was Mount Madonna or Omega first? It rained at Mount Madonna every single second we were there. I remember yeah, that. The mud and the mold. Yeah. <clears throat> um, uh, yeah, it was. Maybe we met. Maybe we were part of one of Ramdas's things at Omega first. Yeah. And yeah. then we did that together. Yeah. After the stroke. So it's yeah. maybe about 20, 18 years ago, 17 yeah. years ago, something like that. Yeah. So the. Of course, evolved naturally out of the fact that we've been teaching together, you know, for some time yeah. when we can, and and then the many requests we get for the people who can't leave home and go to Hawaii for five days or whatever. Yeah. So um, that exists, and it's the first time it does exist. And yeah. We wanted to tell you about that, and I'm wondering if you want to lead us in some kind of practice to close our time together. Hmm. I can do. I could do a little something. Uh, <laughs> uh, Maharaj used to say to us over and over in Hindi, it was "Ram Nam Karnese Sabpura Hojata," which means from going on repeating these names, which in India they call the names of God, the divine names, from going on repeating them and repeating them, everything is brought to fullness and completion. It's a it, like a ripening process of your karmic ripening. And things that you need come to you, and the things that are obstacles in your path are dispersed through the practice of the repetition of the name. It's a practice of invocation. It's a practice of turning within to hear the silent sound. St. John of the Cross wrote that in the beginning the Father uttered one word. That word is his Son. And he utters him forever in everlasting silence. And it's in silence that the heart must hear. So real silence is not just the absence of a noise but it's the natural state of where thoughts no longer 
grab us or thoughts just pass through and we are no longer thinking them. That's a silent state. These names, they say, come from that place within us. So when we chant, we hear, we listen. We don't try so hard, we just listen. Listening happens. Thank you so much for coming here and taking the time with, to speak with us today and to learn more about Krishna Das's ongoing tour schedule, which is <laughs> startling and amazing. He's one of the only people I know who travels more than I do. And online offerings, visit your website at www.krishnadas, that's K-R-I-S-H-N-A-D-A-S.com. And to join our online course, The Power of the Loving Heart, visit www.krishnadas.com slash loving dash heart to receive a $50 discount on the course. Use discount code META, M-E-T-T-A, hour at checkout. Thank you for listening. For more information about Sharon's many offerings and her ongoing teaching schedule, please visit her website at SharonSalzberg.com. <laughs>